Welcome to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and joining me today is my lovely wife, Vienna Farron. Hello, wife. Hello, husband. <laughs> I told you I was going to say that. You didn't believe me? No. Why not? I don't know. It's just funny to hear it. <laughs> so we wanted to have a little bit of a discussion about navigating transition. And we thought that this was a, a bit of a timely conversation because what are we doing right now? Packing and moving all of our stuff into storage. We are literally in this moment sitting in our living room. <laughs> Do you want to give them the scene? It's ugly, friends. It's That's, not good. But like how ugly? Like really ugly. Like so intolerable. <laughs> <laughs> hard, hard to be in this space right now. What does our living room look like? I mean, there's truly clothing all over. Much of it is on the floor and boxes. A comforter is on our sofa. I'm not sure why that's there. There seems to be laundry underneath it, actually. Yeah, there's laundry see. There's laundry sort of scattered everywhere, actually. Laundry, pillows, boxes, mm -hmm. books. Yeah. Wrapping. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting disaster. Yeah, it's not good. So we're in a bit of a transition. We're going to be a little homeless for a while. We're going to go to Idaho for a month mm -hmm. and hang out there with friends. So tell me about how you're feeling leaving New York City. <laughs> oh, so this is a session. Yeah. We're just, not actually doing a... I just pulled you in. Well, all right. Um, how long have you lived in New York for? I have... I've been in New York um, since 09, but have lived here since, gosh, five or six years when I was working here originally. I was commuting in, um, and when I started my practice, I was I was still commuting in. Uh, yeah, so I mean, but it's been a yeah, it's been about eleven years of you know spending the majority of my time here. So departing New York feels like a a bit of a transition, a bit of a change, departure from the norm. What? I mean, I mean, I think one of the things that is the reason why I wanted to talk to you about this is that most people are going through some kind in the last five or six months have gone through a, a pretty significant transition, right? Lost jobs, relationships that have ended or started, people that are stuck apart, you know, mm -hmm. kids at home, not able to go to school. I mean, the laundry list of transition is, is infinite. Mm -hmm. So how do you, my good friend and wife, handle transition, what advice do you have for the people listening? Mm. What sage wisdom can you impart? Mm. Well, I think that we also went through the the unraveling of it too. You know, I think sort of that human experience of trying to cling to uh, what it is that we thought was supposed to happen. That was certainly what I was doing and and feeling for a while. So for a little bit of context, I um, I had transitioned my practice uh, right before the pandemic um, really exploded here. And I moved from, or I was in the process of moving my office um, to another suite in the building, three times as large, uh, full like gut renovation, architecture, installations, like 
it was you you were going for it you were building a whole i was building you were building the vision yeah and and really you know that that vision was my 21 year old self uh vision and dream um if you had asked her at 21 uh like what the goal was it was it was this um and that felt important and special and meaningful to me and uh so yeah, we we were to move in fully um, with, you know, all the construction and design done, opening the doors on April 1st. Se- seems like a funny April, <clears throat> April Fool's spring. Yeah, right. Seriously, right. You're supposed like, to take possession April 1st. And, <laughs> truly. And mid-March, yeah. you are, middle of March, March 15th, you're on a plane to come to Vancouver yeah. to come be with me in British Columbia as the country, the borders are shutting down. Yeah. Yeah. With not, you know, not as as all of us, you know, not knowing sort of when that return would happen. And I think, you know, maybe in the beginning, um, being fed, you know, a certain narrative around when we'd be coming back and all of that. But yeah, it, it probably wasn't until, you know, a little while into sort of recognizing like, nope, this is gonna this is gonna go on for a while. And when I I guess you know, I know you asked about sort of the wisdom in this, but the reality of it is that I don't know that I had much until we came back to New York, um, or at least specifically around this office. You know, Connor had asked me, like, if there was a possibility of us actually transitioning, moving fully to 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 BC. And, you know, my response was like, no, you know, no, I mean, I have my practice. I obviously have to go back. Like, that's my dream. I I need to fulfill on that. Um, additionally, it didn't feel ethically responsible for me to, you know, just up and move and not have sort of those conversations and that closure with clients and, you know, things like that. But I was very much sort of clinging to the vision and, the expectation and sort of these agreements that I had with myself about what needed to happen next. And it was really interesting to me when, when we returned and we went to the office for the first time to, to move it in or not, you know, like we had some furniture to move, but, um, and I walked in and it was so beautiful like just everything that I could have ever imagined it to be just so stunning. And as I walked into it, there was, there was simultaneously this feeling of, I, I can let this go. And what I mean by that was not like, and I will. And so, you know, don't need this office and like, let's throw an ax in it and it's done. It was just more of an internal release of, oh, like this did actually get birthed into the world. And even though no one has set foot in it, <laughs> um, no, no therapy yeah, has taken no place. No therapy has happened in that space. But there was there was actually something about this like completion feeling that I had, and it was interesting because it it opened so much up for me. Right, it was like I no longer needed to cling, even though we will keep the office and um, I will see clients there at some point, and. Um, therapy will exist in that space. Um, but but something internal really shifted. And I think that for me was such a beautiful lesson of, you know, in, like when you feel like you are clinging to something, like sort of forcing the the square peg into the round hole, you know, it's like 
you know, what, what happens if you adjust your grip? What happened? Like, what is, what is the threat, right? What's the threat? What was the threat for me in thinking about what adjusting that grip would be? And I think for me at the time was that I wasn't going to actualize my dreams and that that would mean something. And when I had the actual experience of adjusting my grip, right, I was actually able to reframe and see that I had actually actualized something and that I didn't need to get in the way of the next things that needed to happen in order to feel a sense of freedom, uh, flexibility, um, options to choose something different. I mean, I think what's interesting, what I hear you saying is that we can get bogged down and caught underneath the weight of responsibility and the attachments that we have to our future visions, right? Which I think is such a common thing that we, you know, where most people are working towards something, right? A relationship, a vision of a relationship, a vision of a business, a career, a goal, a physique, there's something, right? There's something that we're working towards. And I've, what I find very daunting and challenging for most people when it comes to transition is that that transition threatens something that they have been striving or working towards. And and that's that's sort of like the, the, the pull that can keep us from leaning into the change that is in front of us. And I think it's, it's the idea of this is the way that it's supposed to go. Right. Mm. And then the resistance to it's not going that way. You know, I think that that's, you know, I imagine that most people felt that moment at some point in the last six months. Right. This is it's supposed to look this way. It's supposed to go that way. And this I mean, this could be anything from what your wedding was supposed to look like that got canceled to your senior year in high school closing down your final season of playing your favorite sport, um, you know, like how you were going to go back to, yeah, back to work after taking maternity leave and now you're staying home and you don't have that, that separation. I'm just thinking about many of the things that came up in, in sessions for me and, Yeah, I mean, I think, right, that idea of like it's supposed to look different. And when something shifts and really, you know, spirals us into the space of recognizing how how little external control (laughs) we have over things, instead of trying to force external control, what does it look like to actually tune into the self and get clear on what it is that we know as opposed to what it is that we don't know? I, if I stay with my example, I think what happened in that moment was I had an internal understanding and knowing that I had completed something, right? That I had actualized something, that I had indeed worked very hard to create a space that I was really proud of. And I recently wrote about sort of what we do in the face of being destabilized and how most of us tend to look at all of the things that we don't know and we focus in heavily on that and we spend all of our time and energy right with the concerns the fears the insecurities the doubts the unknowns why 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 is that can you just speak to that a little bit because i think that's 
right? It's powerful and a lot of people will resonate with that. Mm-hmm. Why is that and how do we start to combat that? Because it's, I think it's one of those things where that is so prominent in our in our culture and especially right now where we seem to be waking up every single day. People are waking up every single day and there's this disruption that's happening. Oh, I mean, I, I think that the the goal is to move the unknown into the into the known, right? There's a sense of, I think, perceived security and safety that happens, right? If I don't know this thing, or if I have this fear, if I can think about this uncertainty, or if I can predict the thing that I don't know, then I'm going to be safe or everything's going to be okay. But what I have found is that we spend a lot of time in that space. And and I guess my suggestion is not to not spend any time there, right? I think it's important to look at those things and, you know, recognize what we are afraid of. And of course, look at the sort of like practical logistical side of things that we need to explore and name, but that we tend to spend very little time in those moments of uncertainty and doubt, regrouping and refocusing ourselves on that which we know. Hmm. Because when what I have found is that when we do refocus and tune into that which we know that deep inner knowing is a beautiful guide for us that deep inner knowing is something that we have to remind ourselves of that it exists there that in this space of naming the things that we know reminding ourselves of like oh i do i actually can do x right i feel stable in y i trust this about myself right whatever that is like that tends to forge a way forward for us Hmm. right yeah i find i find that i've always i like i I love that perspective of being able to be with what you know and root yourself back into that i also have sort of found and maybe this is just my strangeness but i've always sort of found a thrill in the unknown and and again that's not a necessarily a common thing for most people i don't think but but i really have found that my my life has required me to sort of learn how to surf on the wave of change proficiently or else it would pull me under and i feel like we are we're sort of culturally coming into this space where people are learning like they're being thrust and forced into positions of of having to change outside of their accord outside of what they've wanted the the mechanism of society is is such that it seems to be forcing people into unwanted unasked for change and they're having to meet these parts of themselves that maybe they haven't met before that show up in change i mean i think part of what the part of what this time presented that was particularly peculiar was that much of the change was happening without any of our consent, (laughs) right? Like, you know, a lot of times when we're on the precipice of transition and change, it's because we know about it, right? It's because we are in, in, in some ways sort of preparing for it, right? Like if you're making a move, if you're changing jobs, if you're like, you are thinking about it, maybe it's not, I mean, I guess true. It can be true with endings of relationships, right? Like you can sort of feel that maybe the ending is coming or there's a shift that's happening, but and I think a lot of um, like a lot of what we felt and maybe continue to feel during this time is <laughs> change forced upon us mm. and that we have not actually consented to it happening in our lives. And yeah, that's not a great feeling. Yeah, I mean, I think I was 
as you're talking there, it's very poignant. And I think the example that comes to mind is like the whole mask, no mask thing, which, you know, we don't necessarily need to get into, but I think one of the things that stood out there is like, I, I have empathy for the people that are sort of raging and, and rallying against that, right? Because in some ways it's like, they did not consent. Nobody consented to it, right? Nobody woke up at the beginning of this saying, you know what I want to do for the next six months? I want to wear a mask out in public every single day. Nobody consented to it. Nobody asked for it. And so, and there are a lot of people that are rallying against that because they they don't consent to it, right? And and there's a whole sort of moral question there of where where do we draw the line? What's better for society? And I don't think we necessarily need to go down that rabbit hole, but I'm curious to get your perspective on on how our pain and how our insecurities and our worries and our doubts show up in the face of transition that is thrust upon us without our consent. Because what I've started to see is that people are are even more so now activated and heated. And it's almost like the the hidden parts of themselves, this the their pain, their anger, their remorse, their regret is sort of it has a target, you know, and that and that target is this uh is this sort of the circumstances that have been put upon them. So I'm curious to to see if that resonates for you or what you would say about it. I mean, I am an origin stories, uh, I don't know, human being. Champion. (laughs) Champion. (laughs) And so, you know, when I hear you ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is thinking about the origins around change that is put upon us. And that is something that you know, takes all of us back, I think, to being kids. Because the reality of it is, mm. is that we have adults who often, uh, most of the time, right, tend to be choosing for us. And for in most ta- at most times, right, for, for good reason, <laughs> you know, uh, we do, depending on how old we are, right, we, we do need um, the adults to be to be making some decisions and, and, and choosing certain things for us. Um, fine, yes. Uh, but, you know, I'm listening to you ask that question and name some of the activation that adults might be experiencing right now. And, you know, if, if those people uh, were clients of mine, um, I would explore the origin stories around how we have related and how we have experienced having something outside of us choose for us. Um, and choose for us when it was not actually resonant with us, right? Choosing for us when we're like, yep, I get it. Thank you for pushing me to stay with the violin. Or like, you know, you're like, sure, oh, great. I'm I'm glad I had that direction. And, you know, the the part of the parent who was encouraging that part, even if I didn't want to practice, you know, X amount of hours a day. I feel like, I feel um, like so many people can resonate with that one. substitute the violin with like the piano or swimming or hockey or football or it's it's anything that i think that maybe in the moment we weren't really that interested in but when we look back we're grateful for the push right we're we're grateful for them holding you know us to the accountability of something right but then you have to look at the other things that were put upon us right the other things that were forced um 
those things can range from narratives to belief systems to, yes, forcing a person to do something that they actually didn't want to do. It ranges to abuse by an adult, right? It, you know, and, and so there's many things that can happen in that space. And so I think, if, you know, if you're listening to this right now and taking a moment to to pause and think about like, when is the first time that change or transition or control uh, or choosing for you, right, was put upon you when it wasn't actually something that you wanted to do. Maybe it was a role that you had to take on in your family system, right? Maybe you needed to become a parent when you were a kid. My husband is trying to give me a kiss right now. Nah, I think don't listen to her. <laughs> don't listen to her. He's like, "Ooh, I like what you're saying." I was um, trying. To, I was trying to. I was trying to inject in there. <laughs> oh, is that what that was? Well, I don't have guests that that I can, you know, get busy with sometimes. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's, it's just you. Oh, no, no, no. But that was a like, "Hey, I want to say something." So yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and kiss. You. I'm gonna go ahead and just get in there. No, but I think what you're saying is is powerful, right? Because it's it, there's divorce, right? Divorce is not something that we choose as kids, and that's a transition that's thrust upon us. The role that you're talking about. So I like this idea of you know sort of getting present to how you originally built your relationship, the change and transition as as a kid, because that blueprint, that framework, is probably still impacting you today. I think I said today. I said today after us talking about uh, the home that we're potentially looking at building and there's something that just wasn't going our way. And I just remember just being like, I don't like not getting my way. And I'm like, of course I don't. You know, like my whole childhood was like a manifestation of, of, of like series of not getting my way. And so I like getting my way today as an adult. <laughs> and when it doesn't happen, you know, there's that there's that sort of like petulant child that shows up and it's just like wanting to rage or, you know, wanting to become sort of like vicious or lash out or, you know, shut down or close the whole deal down or whatever the case may be, right? And and sort of sort of become larger than life, right? And so uh, so I, I like that because I think it, it points very clearly to us needing to understand the origin story of of the the beginnings of our relationship with change and transition, mm-hmm. especially like when we haven't asked for it or, or consented to it. Yeah, I mean, I think when I, you know, I've given the example of of the office um, today and. When I think about origin stories for change and transition for me, there's there's plenty, right, that comes to mind. But I think a, a big one that stands out to me is that in the chaos of my parents' divorce, separation and divorce, I, I didn't feel that either of them were particularly tuned in to my experience. I think that they were going through motions of being, you know, quote unquote, good parents, but I didn't feel like my experience was actually tuned into. Their experience was more important, mm. right? And and so I think when I think about again about the the office and what I was clinging to, right? I think specifically with you, it was so important for for me to to get you to understand my experience of it, right? Not just the facts and the logistics of well, we can we can find a way to deal with this or 
we can find a way to get out of the lease or shorten the lease or, you know, what, whatever it was, or like, you know, here's, here's the financial hit you're going to take, but ultimately that's better than the long-term financial hit of never using the office or, you know, and it was like, sure, but you're not tuned in to my actual emotional experience. Right. Are you, are you saying that I was trying to fix things <laughs> Go and figure. I wasn't understanding what you were feeling? <laughs> I thought I, I was, I thought I had that dialed in. I thought I was, really? yeah. Well, I think that you <laughs> don't do. tell the listeners that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that you generally do a beautiful job of it, but I think there were absolutely, uh, and gosh, this was a conversation that came up. I mean, endless amounts of time. Right. And so I think if I really tune into it, right, I think it's the, the little me, Right, who was really, really needing my experience to be fully seen, fully considered before I could release into a change. Hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Can you say it a different? Can you say it a different way, just for those who are listening that might not know? Why don't you say what you think it is then? I think that how I would reframe it is that there's just a a younger part of you that needed to know it was safe. Mm -hmm. I know. And, and that safety was only going to come through me understanding what you were experiencing. You you couldn't force the change by giving me the logistical, right. practical reasons right. why. Right. You you had to tune into my internal experience, yeah. which is both little me and also adult me. Right. Like, well, because we I mean, we had. Uh, just like everybody else, we had a, and still have had a tremendous amount of turbulence happen. I mean, our businesses radically changed. We were changed locations. We spent months out in British Columbia. We didn't know if we were going to move. We didn't know if we were going to have the practice, you know, if you're going to have your practice here in New York anymore. I mean, literally with which I am <laughs> <laughs> literally within within a few months, it was like, holy crap, like, are we do we just change everything? Does yeah. everything transition? And so I think, you know, there 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 comes a balance in in that. Right. Like, again, going back to what you said before, returning to what you know. Right, returning to what you know is important in a time of chaos where, especially right now, I think most people are struggling and suffering in some ways because nothing really seems clear. You know, I mean, the elections are coming up, that seems unsure. There seems like there's brewing of civil war, so that's unsure. So there's a lot of there's a lot of chaos and lack of clarity. But that's the thing is like there's so much chaos and and, and lack of clarity external to us. Right. Our work is to tune back into what exists inside of us, what exists inside of us. There is a roadmap there. There is there are things that we know about ourselves. Right. There are things that we can tune into. And so even amidst all of this external chaos and uncertainty and lack of clarity, right, like we can still access clarity and certainty and the known. Right. And that's the that's that to me is a big part of the work. I know we're talking about a couple of things here today, but to loop it back around to when I am feeling destabilized, right? When I am feeling shaky, how can I refocus myself on the things that ground me, right? On the things that I do know 
And even if I spend a little bit of time with the things that I don't know, um, which, like I said before, is an okay and important thing for us to do, that I need to make sure that I'm balancing that with spending at least as much time focused on what it is that I do. Hmm. All right. Well, I think that that's probably a good place for us to start to wrap up here. Um, I like this idea of getting to know the origin blueprint of your relationship to change, understanding that. Right. Change without consent. Yeah. Change without consent or change that we didn't choose. Any questions that you could get people to ask themselves to maybe bring some some clarity on that front just so that they can reflect? Like, What would you have a, a client journal to sort of understand that mm-hmm. a little bit more effectively and, and clearly? Mm. I mean, I think I think I, I said one of the things before, which was the the first time change happened without my consent was, um, I might've said like a version of that before, right? So I think the first time change happened without my consent was the things that felt forced upon me right in my childhood were, you're pretty good with, with prompts. I imagine that you've got a couple that you... I'd offer. I mean, I think the only other one I would add is uh, as a kid, I felt threatened by change when. It's mm, a good one. And my, and my parents' relationship to change was. Because mm, okay. usually we learn that blueprint from our parents, right? So if our parents are like actively change avoidant or they, you know, mm. sort of bitch and complain constantly about change, like some people do. You're so direct. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> they're used to, I mean, my people are used Your to this. Are used to that. Like, yeah, if they struggle with change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just gonna throw it out there. There it is. Nice. There it is. So you're uh on a side note, yes, before we wrap up, mm-hmm. uh you are coming to pay a little visit to my alliance team soon. Ooh, I am next October. month. Next month. And you're we're so so for everyone out there, for the men that are out there listening that aren't a part of the alliance, uh Vienna is coming to join me and we are doing a couple's special and so the men in the alliance get to invite their partners i'll keep talking about when connor misses actually yeah, hearing yeah. my experience <laughs> i'm i'm fine with that a little a little a little humbleness mm-hmm. you know goes a long way a little humble pie a little humble pie i don't i don't mind eating that um yeah so if you're interested in that check that out uh, and obviously, if you aren't following Mindful MFT, mm. you absolutely should be mm-hmm. um, because she is a sage and wellspring of knowledge when it comes to, I mean, just the human experience in general, but certainly with regards to relationships. So any final words about transition or change before we sign off? Anything else that you want to say to them that maybe feels important or relevant? I appreciate you sharing your experience, by the way. And digging in with me. I know we don't normally reveal a ton about our lives, but I felt like this was, you know, it's one of those universal experiences that so many people are going through right now. Mm. I think the only thing additionally I would, would say is that every experience is just information. Um, I shouldn't say just, but it is information and really important and profound information when we create space to to listen to it. And so I think just offering or encouraging the listening to all of the parts, right? The listening to the information that is revealing itself, uh, that is presenting itself. And yeah, I mean, from there, 
I don't know, willing to do round two of this, but um, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get some questions from it. Yeah, great. Give us the questions. Um, yeah, so D- DM either of us at Man Talks or at Mindful MFT and maybe send us your questions. Uh, maybe we'll, when this comes out, we'll put out a little a little note for you to pop your questions in there so that we can uh, do a round two on it. Uh, but thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you diving onto the podcast with me. Uh, <laughs> Asked five minutes before. Right. Yeah. Hey, this is. Do you want to do this? This is odd. This is totally on the fly and, and off the cuff. So <laughs> I. Sure. What do you want to talk about? I, I don't know. <laughs> transition seems like that's happening for uh, you know we're we're literally we move out in two days, uh, so we are in the midst of packing. So we thought this was a very timely, <laughs> real time scenario where we're just dealing with massive amounts of transition. So thanks so much for tuning in. This is Connor Beaton signing off. Uh, please share this with somebody that you know, Men it forward and share it with somebody that you know is going to enjoy this conversation that might need a little support when it comes to transition and change and everything that's happening in our world right now. So until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off.